This is Channel Attitude. Your voice, your right, your freedom. This is Vince Russo's The Brand. Welcome, 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 welcome everybody to a very special edition of Glass Onions. Uh, one that I am sure will go over at least two weeks. Um, because, man, I got to tell you something. When I have this guest on, uh, it's like Christmas morn. I mean, it really, really is. And I got to be honest, man, I don't bother him as much as I should because I know he's very, very busy. He's got two uh, tremendously popular sites Sage of Quay, the Paul is Dead channel. Not only that, bro, he's a great musician. I've heard his stuff. Mike sends me his stuff all the time, and I absolutely love it. Hey, listen, as far as I'm concerned, this man is a national treasure. I'm just going to say it, and I'm just going to put it out there. And it's an honor to always have him on the show. And I am talking about the great Mike Williams. Mike, <laughs> this no way. There's no way I can live up to that, bitch. Come on, Mike. Come on. You, you know I love having you on this show. Mike. Well, Mike, thank I, you for having me back. I got to tell you, and you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, bro, um, attention span gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And, Mike, this has really kind of dictated the way that I watch television because – 99% of the time I'm on YouTube. And the first thing I look at is length. And, you know, bro, 30 minutes is real close. Like anything over 30 minutes, I'm not watching. It's too long. Right. But then I come up to Sage of Quay, and it's two, two and a half, three hours. And, Mike, I sit there and I watch the whole thing. Your show is the only show that keeps me there for three hours. Well, thank you, Vince. I'm glad that I'm keeping your interest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and, and, Mike, listen, I find it so fascinating because I believe uh, the last time I had you on the show, which was a while ago, Mike, you were, you were close to packing it up. You, you were done. You were walking away into the sunset. Mike, what happened, Mike? What happened? What happens, Vince, is that the rabbit hole gets deeper and deeper. So just when you think, okay, I've gotten to a point where I can step away from this and move on to other stuff, something else pops up. And so, you know, it piques your interest and you think to yourself, okay, let me take a look. And before you know it, a whole like other story now is, is unrolling, you know? And uh, it's like, I know we're not going to probably talk about this, but as an example, I had another researcher on my channel, Stacy, who went into uh, possibilities with regard to Billy, who plays the role of Paul McCartney, his, his family and his ancestry. So, I mean, I wasn't really planning on getting into that, but then somebody contacts me and she did very compelling work. It's very, very good work. And uh, so that's an example of how that really wasn't on the radar per se, but then it lands in your lap. So you have to make a decision. Do I do something with this or do I just turn my back and, and walk away? So I decided, well, after seven years or so of doing this, I might as well do it, right? 
Well, and, and Mike, the thing with you is, like, this is what is so unbelievable about you. You you don't just come on here and do a podcast, uh, Mike. You got to do a slide presentation that takes you about five and a half years, which is so thorough. And you've got everything. Le- Mike, nobody, nobody makes a presentation like you. Well, thank you, Vincent. But the reason why I do that is because I'm doing research in an area that most people just don't want to listen to. They don't believe it. Right. So if you're just going to come on and talk about it, well, then it's just words. But if you can help the presentation by putting up the slides and explaining what's going on and connecting some dots, hopefully you can get some people to better understand what it is that you're bringing forth. So that's why the slide presentations are important. Oh, extremely important. I got to tell you, though, Mike, I tried so hard to follow this, and I, I, I think I got lost in this one. I got lost in the 28th. I, I, I was trying so hard to follow that. Man, I stopped it. I went back. I stopped. That was a hard one for me to follow. It was quite a decoding, and the guy that did it was uh, John Black, and he's a subscriber of my channel, and he just sent me an email and said, I think I've decoded the license plate on the Abbey Road album. And, um, you know, over the years, I've heard I've heard different iterations and uh, theories about what the plate means. So when John brought it to me, I said, okay, let me take a look. So he shared it with me. Um, but basically, uh, to you know just to summarize it what john did was to show that the plate was really an anagram it created an anagram Mm -hmm. and from that anagram there were some missing letters Mm -hmm. and the two and the eight like lmw is the plate it's lmw 28 if and Mm -hmm. actually the my british subscribers have said to me that the letter I doesn't exist in your license plates. It's the number one because otherwise ones and I's can, can get, you know, right, mixed up right. and confused, but in either case uh, it, it really, for the sake of what the Beatles were doing on the album, it really doesn't matter whether it's a one or an I, in my opinion, um, Billy was using it as an I LMW 28. If. Right. Oh, uh, there we go. I lost my uh, video there for a second. And so what John did was to decode the LMW part, which is um, Lady Madonna uh, Wednesday. So Lady Madonna Wednesday. And so what Mm -hmm. comes after Wednesday in the song? Well, Wednesday mornings, papers didn't come. Mm -hmm. So papers didn't come is the, how the anagram was created. And when he did the anagram and worked on it, papers didn't come, spelt out P. McCartney uh, dies, OPD, officially pronounced dead. So for those who follow the Paul is Dead uh, conspiracy, OPD is the patch that mm-hmm. Billy or Paul McCartney is wearing in the gatefold of the Sgt. Pepper album, officially mm-hmm. pronounced dead. But the anagram was missing two letters. It was missing a C and it was missing a Y. So the 28 part was telling us that after the second letter in the anagram, PM McCartney, you have to insert a letter. Well, that other, that letter was the letter C because McCartney has two C's, M-C-C, mm-hmm. A-R-T-N-E-Y. 
And then after the eighth letter, in this case, in the anagram, and what I'll do is I'll put the link in the, in the show for you. Yeah, so that'd be great. That would so be everybody great. can see it because they're probably yes. going, I don't know what this guy's talking about. But if you insert the, the Y after the eighth letter, which was E, then you get the full spelling of P. McCartney and then dies OPD. So the if part, what John was saying was, if you replace the letters, if you put the proper letters in its place after the second and eighth position of the anagram, Mm-hmm. The missing letters, then you get the word P McCartney or Paul McCartney, and then dies OPD. So what John is saying is that the license plate is telling us that Paul McCartney was dead. Paul McCartney wasn't there in 1969, in September of 69, when Abbey Road was released. Another clue of that Volkswagen on the cover of Abbey Road it's a Volkswagen Beetle, and right? It's a Volkswagen yeah. Beetle. So I believe another uh, clue that was being dropped, because these clues that the Beatles were dropping on the album covers, um, many times it, w- it had more than one meaning. Mm-hmm. So John's decoding could very well be. Then Stacy came on, and she had another. That's the researcher who did his family tree, his ancestry. She had another interpretation, which was also very compelling. That goes back to his uh, his ancestry, and I won't get into that because that's a that's a long drawn out, uh, you know, explanation that I'll probably screw up. <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave the link to that one too down below. And um, but my interpretation after so many years is I think what they were telling us is that there were five beetles on Abbey Road. There were four that were going across the crosswalk which included Billy as Paul McCartney. And then there was the Volkswagen Beetle on the left-hand side of the road or our left, mm-hmm. which would be an indication of the Beatles and their involvement in um, uh, paganism, Thelema, Crowley's Thelema, the left-handed path. Okay. So if that gets a bit esoteric for some folks, we'll just leave it at the Volkswagen Beetle represented the fifth Beetle who was not there because you know, he had passed away back in 1966. Wow. So anyway, uh, we'll leave a link, folks, down below. Yes. For that. It's a very short video. It's about, I think, it's less than 10 minutes. And uh, yeah, if you have you, any questions, just leave a comment and I'll explain. You are always blowing my mind. Now, before we get into I, I've got numerous topics. I, I, I do want to ask you this, though. Who And, and let's, let's, let's give the credit where it came from. The woman's name escapes me that came up with the with the the uh, fake eye. What, Sally what Whitty. Sally Whitty. I got it. So so Mike, just just tell people briefly uh, what what Sally has uncovered. Sally uncovered that Billy Billy Shears, the person who's playing the role of Paul McCartney and has been, he has the primary contract since 1966. He has a artificial eye, his right eye, he's blind in his right eye. And obviously he could see with his left. And going back, I would say probably about uh, a year ago or so, we have a little group, a little forum um, that we converse on and we share information with each other. It's, it's myself and three or four other very close colleagues and friends. And we've been together for, for years. And so she was putting some images up of of Billy's eye, Paul McCartney's eye. And, you know, I was taking a 
well, what is she getting at here? I, you know, and, and so finally it dawned on me. Well, I, I think she's saying that he has a problem with his right eye. And uh, so what happened was Sally and I spoke and uh, originally that, that revelation that Billy is blind in his right eye was going to be part of a larger presentation because she was going to get into a lot of esoteric mythology with regard to Pan and stuff like that, because the Beatles are all, you know, intertwined with uh, a lot of mythology, Egyptian mythology, Greek mythology, Roman mythology. And I said to her, you know what? Don't do that. This is too important because him having an artificial eye is proof positive that he is not biological Paul, right? We could talk about he's taller than Paul. He has uh, different ears. His jawline is longer, all of that stuff. All of that stuff is true, but it's not as concrete as knowing that he has a fake eye, an ocular prosthetic. And uh, I should also say that the, the way that Sally caught this is because Sally has an artificial eye. Mm-hmm. She's blind in her left eye. And so what she did was she was just watching videos of him and she was taking a look at images, stills. And she picked up on the fact that his, his right eye, which he's blinded, was not always tracking with mm-hmm. his left eye. Now, the tracking is actually very good because Billy obviously has the best doctors working with him. And there's a misconception out there. I should explain this to the audience that some people think that if you have an artificial eye, that it doesn't move. It's static. It just looks straight ahead. It's not true. Uh, Depending upon the level of damage to the eye, I mean, if you have a lot of damage to the eye, that could be that the eye is static. But in Mm -hmm. most cases, that's not the case. Um, your ocularist will will ensure that you have movement with the eye that's artificial. And what Sally found was uh, it's more observable when you see Billy in concert. So when he's looking right, he's looking left. What I've noticed is whenever he looks hard left, his right eye, his eye that he's blind in, doesn't move as far left as his good eye. Mm-hmm. So that's where you see the the alignment issue with his eyes. So then what happened was, so we presented this back in October of 2022 and it was, it was quite a revelation. And uh, Mike, let me ask you one question before you go uh, forward before um, I forget this. Now you, you mentioned that this is um, very, very important because again, you know, the, the real Paul McCartney did not have, a artificial eye. Right. But however, my question to you is once Billy took over, how do we know he didn't lose his eye at that point? You, 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 you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. That question has come up before. So um, Sally and I discussed this in the uh, follow-up show that we did. I, I guess it was about two months ago or so. I lose track of time. Sometimes it becomes a big blur. But uh, anything's possible. Let's just say that, right? It right, could have happened, right, right, right. But Sally said it's highly unlikely because she said that um, people who lose an eye early on in life, they are much more adaptable to um, being comfortable with the eye. 
Mm-hmm. So because because you you lost your eye at a young age, you have a lot of time, a lot of runway to get yourself acclimated to seeing only with one eye. She said that it's it's difficult for adults when they lose an eye mm-hmm. to have that sense of orientation. In other words, you know, um, things just might seem off um, perspective wise and and stuff like that. So her. Uh, she leans toward at a young age, he lost his eye. But like I said, anything is possible. But but she right. said the fact that he's so natural with it would lend credence to the argument that he lost it much earlier in life as a kid. Right, right. Yeah. Now, now Mike, here's the only thing I would ask. And this is – listen, man, when you look at the footage, you know, if Mike, Mike, if you could leave the link for this as well. I will. If you guys look at the footage, there's there's no question there is an issue with that eye. There is absolutely no question about it whatsoever. I'm just going to throw this out at you, Mike, because this is just going to be your opinion. If this is true, then why wouldn't he have made it public? I mean, Sammy Davis Jr., you know, perfect example, and in, in the prime of his uh uh, his stardom, you know, he got in that car accident and he lost an eye and we knew Sammy had, you know, why, why wouldn't Billy, why wouldn't this be made public, do you think? It wouldn't be made public because Paul McCartney never made any mention, the real Paul McCartney, biological Paul McCartney, about having any issues with his eyes. He had two good eyes. So for Billy, as Paul McCartney, to come out at some point and to talk about it, then what's going to happen is there's going to be a discussion about how did it happen and how did you avoid uh, the the public arena mm-hmm. if you had a problem with your eye, you had an accident and you were blind, you know, your right eye became blind. Well, he's such a public figure and he's everywhere then the question would be, so when was the, the downtime when the eye was healing or when you were right. getting acclimated to having a, an ocular prosthetic? So um, I, I think, Vince, again, my opinion is the reason why it didn't come out was because biological Paul had two good eyes and for, for it to come up would have created a whole set of issues yeah, that, it, it, yeah, it opens up a Pandora's box. It didn't have to be discussed because yeah, I got most, yeah, that makes most sense. people don't see the eye, don't see the yeah. bad eye. So yeah, you know, it's just business sense. as usual. Now, now, I, here's one of the topics today. I got to reach down, um, Mike. Nobody has studied memoirs like you. Nobody, absolutely nobody. And Mike, as a guy that hates to read, that is the last book I read. Uh, and I went through that book and I tried to understand it as best as I could. Now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about this. And of course, this I, I wish this wasn't original, Mike, but it's not. There you go. Mike's, it, it, Mike, is that an original? Well, actually, I have originals. Um, this one is a replica of what they call the first state. This would have been the uh, one of the promo copies that went out. Right. But I have actuals. I'll I'll show them as we talk. Oh my gosh! Okay, now here's the first question I I want to ask you, Mike. I don't remember this at all being discussed in memoirs. Was it? 
No, I, it, it wasn't discussed in memoirs. Is that a little odd to you? Now that you mention it, it probably is a little odd. Um, and probably because it would get into a discussion about why it was done. Um, I guess it could have been inserted into the uh, into the chapters that talk about the um, the occultism around the Beatles. It could have been inserted there. In fact, you know what? I'm going to drop uh, Tom U. Harriet an email and ask him. <laughs> See, I made that happen, right? Yeah, yes, Mike. All right, let's get. Yeah, because I, I mean, Mike, everything was covered in that book. And yeah. I just found it really odd that I, because I, I, as I, I was thinking, I, I don't think it was spoken about. No. So, Mike, to give a little background, just to let everybody know, this this uh, uh, this album came out March twenty fifth, nineteen sixty six. There was a photographer by the name of Robert Whitaker, and there was a photo session um, for this album cover. In which the the Beatles and Mr. Whitaker they they whether they were having fun, uh, we'll we'll get to that we'll get to that in a minute. But a lot of strange photos were taken because it wasn't just the 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 doll parts and the meat. No, right? There were bird cages involved, and even I know now what that means. Okay, <laughs> and, and you can explain that to everybody. But, you know, Mike, see, this I did not know as as I as I got into other um, shots for the record cover. There's George Harrison driving a nail in John Lennon's head. Yeah. I mean, you you, you guys have to understand this. This is 60, 65. And, you know, we're still talking about the cute and cuddly Beatles like this is such to the other extreme that. They're doing a photo session like this and even thinking about putting out an album cover like this. Um, and you you sent me a clip and I had read that um, as well, that they weren't going to go with the butcher cover. But but John Lennon was really a fan of that. And John Lennon kind of pushed the issue and and. uh Brian Epstein went along with it, sold it to the record company, and they printed the album cover. Yeah. Mike, I really I, – I so want your thoughts on this, the, the purpose behind the photo shoot, how in God's name the cover made it to press – did somebody actually think this was a good idea and this was a goof? Or again, we've learned this about Illuminati, man. They put it out there. They put it out there right in front of your face so we can't say you didn't tell us. They they put it out there, but it's so unbelievable that nobody believes it. Right. I mean, that's that that's the gimmick. So just just kind of give me a little background and and your thoughts and theories into this album cover. Okay, so like you said, Robert Whitaker was the uh, the photographer doing the photo shoots, and the clip I sent you of um, of John Lennon discussing the uh, the butcher cover. He explains that uh, Robert Whitaker was a surrealist, and you know, and the Beatles themselves were in favor of doing the the photo shoot. And uh, what became the the Butcher album cover because uh, it was different. They got tired of the plain old, you know, straightforward photo shoots and um, and album covers. And uh, in that interview, John states that uh, he really wanted to do it. 
So the reason why I'm explaining that is because uh, there are folks that are in the you know Polis Dead research and in the Polis Dead community that believe that the Beatles were forced to do that album cover. They really didn't want to do it. Of course, that's a natural reaction because you, you, you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't, you know, I idolize these guys and I, I don't really want to get behind the fact that this was something they wanted to do because mm-hmm. it's, 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 uh, it's a strange album cover to say mm-hmm. the least. So in any case, you know, John says that uh, they wanted to do it. And John um, specifically said, you know, he was leading the charge on it. And I'll leave the, the link to that interview as well. Folks can listen to it. So I believe what happened, and I'll give you my opinion on this, Vince, is that the Beatles as an entity are just immersed in the occult. There's a lot of occultism around the Beatles. And if you go to my channel, uh, this is to the audience, I have a number of presentations where I take everybody through this. And what they do every once in a while is to float something out there as a trial balloon, as part of the conditioning process. So you didn't see the Beatles, you know, this way ever before. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, there was occultism on their other album covers and I can show you some of that in a bit, but it wasn't this blatant. So what happened was Capitol sent promotional copies out. And in the interview that John Lennon did uh, that we just talked about, I think he said about 60,000 copies went out. And when they went out, and, and this is in the U.S., by the way, because Yesterday and Today, which is what, which was the title of the album, was a U.S. capital release. It was not a U.K. release. Um, so it went out as, as a promotional copy. And then, of course, the, the backlash, people who received it, DJs and so on, were like, what is this? And but so to, to stop you there, Mike, and I hate to interrupt you, but I, I, I want to hit key points. They had to know that was going to be the, the, the feedback. Yeah, they did okay. know. They did know. And that's, you know, that's it. That's, that's the, the thing. They did know. They knew what the reaction was going to be, but it was shock value. And they knew that, you know, once you have that in, that in your head, right, once, once the news went out that this album cover was the initial cover for the, for the Beatles uh, capital release yesterday and today that it was going to draw people's attention to it. See, that's what it's all about with occultism. Occultism is about drawing your attention, your focus and your consciousness to focus your thoughts on what they want you to focus on. So even though this was, this was on the surface short lived, it really wasn't short lived. Because what happened afterwards is, in fact, well, let me just read this here for you. Um, there's a letter that went out. Yeah. I, 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 go ahead, read it. I, I have yeah. it right up here, but go ahead and read it. I think it's important. Yeah. Okay. So it says, uh, dear reviewer. So it went out to reviewers and I think it went out to DJs. So this wasn't the, the original album. My understanding is it did not go out to retail. Okay. So. It says, dear reviewer, in the past few days, you may have received an advanced promotional copy of the Beatles' new album, the, yes- the Beatles' Yesterday and Today, in accordance with the following statement from Alan Livingston, president of Capitol Records, the original album cover is being discarded and a new jacket is being prepared. So it goes on to say, the original cover created in England was intended as, quote, pop art, and we'll get into this 
as we talk more about uh, Taylor Swift. However, a sampling of public opinion in the United States, a sampling of public opinions, in other words, they're polling to see how receptive the album was to the public in the United States, indicates that the cover design is subject to misinterpretation. For this reason, and to avoid any possible controversy or undeserved harm to the Beatles' image or reputation, Capitol has chosen to withdraw the LP and substitute a more generally accepted design. All consumer copies of the Beatles' album will be packaged in the new cover, which will be available within the next week to 10 days. As soon as they are, we will forward you a copy. In the meantime, we would appreciate your discarding the promotional album and, if at all possible, returning it, COD, to Capitol Records, 1750 North Vine Street, Hollywood, California, 90028. Thank you in advance for your cooperation. Sincerely, Ron Tepper, Manager of Press and Information Services for Capitol Records. Can you imagine, Mike, if you were one of those people that sent it back? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? So, so when we talk about, it, so you're making a good point because you're segueing into what I was going, where I was going to go next, Vince. Yeah. So even though it was kind of, it appeared to be a temporary thing, sixty thousand copies or whatever, it has lived on. So then, what happened was, then, Capital released yesterday and today with this cover, right. Now, supposedly, this was shot at the same session. Was it? From, from, from what I read, it was. But I, I think Lennon says something different. Because the article I read, this was, this was shot as well. So I'm saying, if they shot this, they had to know that this was a backup. Right. I mean, no question. You do not have the extremes of the birdcage and the body parts and the, and the nail in the head and then this. But that clip you sent me from John Lennon, he he uh, he alludes to the fact that they went back and reshot a yeah. and and this was it. Yeah. So I don't know whether it was shot the same day or afterward, but in either case, what happened was this wound up being the new cover, and you can see. Uh, look at the difference, folks, between the covers. Let me just go back to um, uh, here. It is okay. So we have this image here, right? The original cover, and they're all smiling and happy. <laughs> and then we get to the the replacement cover, Not and they're happy. all demure. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Now the reason why the butcher has cover has lived on in infamy is because if we take a look here, right? I don't know if you can see this, but that's that's Ringo's right. right. Yeah. Okay. The black. So now date. what happened was they slicked over the original cover. So now what people were doing was they were either leaving these alone, knowing they had a butcher or they were steaming the covers off. And so by steaming the covers off, now people are re-engaging with that album cover. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That people, <laughs> you know, that people, you know, weren't supposed to see. So for those who steamed it off, now this is a steamed copy. Okay. Wow. That's a steamed copy. That's a steamed copy. It's wow, really that's good. The best I, steamed I, I, copy I've ever seen. I've had these for years. All right. So wow. the point being is that the butcher cover never went away. It was still in the consciousness of Beatle fans. And so the focus has always been there. And in fact, I checked on eBay this morning because I, I haven't, you know, I haven't looked at records in a long, long time. You, you know that I have a large collection like you do. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I have, I have had for a very long time now. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I went on to eBay to take a look at what the butchers are getting. Now, depending upon whether it's first state, first state is the original promotional copy. Second state is the, is the paste over with the mm-hmm. trunk cover, which, by the way, is a Paul is dead clue, Bill, uh, Paul sitting in a trunk. Right. And, uh, and then we have the third state, which is the peeled uh, covers. And they're going, they're going for like anywhere between $1,200 and $5,000. Crazy, man. On yeah. eBay. So this is still highly collectible. And uh, so, you know, it's like I said, it's one of those things where it was uh, it was table setting. It was conditioning. It was to get people to take a look at the Beatles in a different light. Like, what's this all about? So that whole clean cut image that is that has been kind of demolished. Right. With with the butcher cover. Because they're doing something here that's very, very strange and for many people very disturbing. And it is. It's a very disturbing album cover. So it's it's about implanting and putting into people's heads, you know, um, a d- different thoughts. So that this way, what, what they do down the road, when I say they, I'm talking about the controller. So I, I will probably talk a little bit about Tavistock and the CIA and stuff like that. Your thoughts, it's about changing your opinions. Um and, and moving people in a different direction. So that, to me, is what the Butcher cover was all about. And um, like I said, it wasn't short-lived. To this day, people are still talking yeah, about absolutely, it. Absolutely, man. Now, Mike, you blew me away with a little, little, uh, you dropped a little line in one of your emails to me as far as the song selection. Yeah. I've Now, this I've never, ever heard before, man. So this I, I can't wait to hear from you. This episode will continue next week right here at Russo'sBrand.com.